Welcome to Cancer Beat, the official podcast of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. Thanks for joining us today as we have in-depth discussions of the science, research, and advancements taking place at our National Cancer Institute designated Comprehensive Cancer Center. I'm Chris Joyce. And I'm Stephanie Wynn. We will also examine proactive approaches to cancer prevention, and most importantly, how we are breaking barriers to beat cancer in our community and beyond. Joining us today is Dr. Eliza Tong. Dr. Tong is the medical director for the Stop Tobacco program at the Cancer Center, and she works closely with the tobacco treatment partners at UC Davis Health and the state's Kick It California program. Dr. Tong's research interests are in tobacco control, policy, and cessation. She also focuses on interventions uh, to address tobacco and cancer disparities. And she looks at the behavioral impact of smoke and tobacco-free policies. Also joining us is Carrie Shulkin. Now, Carrie is a registered nurse, board certified in cardiac vascular nursing, and as a tobacco treatment specialist. And her primary focus is tobacco cessation education, as well as some self-management of heart and lung disease. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Dr. Tong, let's let's start out with cessation. And I think this is so important, um, obviously, because we know 30% of all cancer deaths are tied to tobacco. I don't think I don't think folks realize, though, how tobacco can uh, prevent, let's say, a cancer patient from recovering from a treatment, uh, from treatment, or, you know, uh, just the healing process. Um, and so that's why even if someone has been smoking for many, many years, um, going through cancer treatment, it's important to get them off tobacco, right? Right. But thanks so much. Uh, yes, every, what everybody has heard about is that tobacco causes lung cancer. And we've known that since uh, the 1960s, since the Surgeon General's report first came out, looking at all the biological and epidemiological evidence. Um, And since then, we've had so much more evidence saying that tobacco causes 12 types of cancer, um, and including all of, uh, you know, the biological and epidemiological evidence. Uh, And when we think about what people die of related to tobacco, um, it's not just cancer, but we also have to be concerned about cardiovascular disease as well. In fact, there are more people who pass away because of cardiovascular disease um, from uh, tobacco. So this is why it's so important um, when we are looking at our patients to not just think about preventing cancer, but um, if you happen to have cancer, um, you know, we can also help you um, in quitting tobacco and you'll have immediate health benefits. Um, so there, during your cancer treatment, um, you may have uh, radiation, you may have surgery, you may have chemotherapy medications. Uh, and we know that uh, when you stop tobacco, there are so many positive things um, in terms of your cardiovascular benefit in terms of healing, um, in terms of having your immune function working and being optimal um, to help fight infections and to let your medications work optimally. Um, There's just so many reasons why it's um, helpful to stop tobacco, even after a cancer diagnosis. And Carrie, what about the programs available at uh, the UC Davis uh, Comprehensive Cancer Center? Uh, If you want to quit, um, how can we help? That's a great question. Um, At UC Davis, we have a full quit tobacco team in the health management and education department. And it's it's easy to say, you know, we got to get these patients to quit. But we also know how absolutely difficult it is to quit. And that's how we really address it. 
Um, there's no shame. There's no blame. And our programs are really based around motivational interviewing. And we want to move those patients closer to taking action to quitting. And we're highly trained in those type of skills. But what we offer at in health management and education is a few different programs, depending on kind of where the patient is at. We meet them where they're at. So we offer a workshop, which is a one-time class that gives a great overview of medications, addiction, a full quit plan with behavior changes. And they go home with a workbook. Well, this class is actual virtual, but we send them a workbook. And so whenever they're ready to quit, they have all the information ready and accessible to themselves. Kind of like independent study um, for whenever they are ready to quit. Now, for those who need to quit right away or they're ready right now, we do have a stop tobacco program. And that's a little bit more comprehensive in that it's eight classes over a month, um, two classes a week, and <clears throat> there's actually a quit date in there. Uh, it's multidisciplinary in that we have pharmacy coming in talking about medications. We have our psychologists talking about what happens in the brain when they become addicted. Um, the all-important quit date. There's cohesiveness and accountability showing up every day to class. We have a dietitian talking about how not to gain weight once they quit and relapse prevention. So that's a, that's our gold standard is our um, stop tobacco program for those who are really ready to quit with that quit date. Um, now, once we get our patients able to quit, we also offer smoke-free support group once a month. And that's um, a call-in basis just to stay um, connected with the experts to kind of share strategies they use, relapse prevention. Um, we were wildly popular during the pandemic, at the peak of the pandemic, because all these patients that had quit were just on the hairy edge of going back to it with when our world's turned upside mm -hmm. down with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we offer a lot of different things for patients wherever they're at, ready to quit. We're here, ready to help them. So I have a couple of follow-up questions um, and you can I'll just rattle them all off and then you, you can address them in whichever order you like. Uh, but with some of these, with these programs for tobacco cessation, um, are there any costs associated? And then because we know that nicotine is just a super addictive substance and we know that it really does make it difficult to quit, um, is it common for those that are actually trying to quit to not be successful on, on their attempt, maybe the first attempt or, or multiple attempts? So all the programs that we offer at UC Davis are free. Okay. Um, that's, we want to eliminate any type of barrier for patients being able to get help. So we insisted that it be a free resource for all of our patients. Um, and here's the other thing. When it comes to nicotine addiction, we see that it's very much a cycle, that there's times when people are smoking and then they've been able to quit and then they return. And so educating people on that process is really important. So they don't feel like a failure if they go back to it. It's not like a one and done deal. It's very much a journey. Mm -hmm. And so we prepare our patients for that and we let them know, you know, it can take up to 10, 15, 20 quit attempts. The idea is every time you go through the process, you learn something about it and you become better prepared and probably 
more successful the next quit attempt. And so just by preparing the patient for that, I think puts them in a good position so they're not uh, lacking in that self-confidence to be able to make a quit attempt again. Mm -hmm. Dr. Tong, you've really looked into the minds of smokers, haven't you, as a researcher to try to figure out, you know, what works, what doesn't work, and then also some of the larger um, societal um, pressures, um, some of the industry pressures um, that lead to tobacco addiction. What, what's some of the research you're most proud of? I think one reason I got involved in tobacco in the first place as a doctor was realizing there was only so much I could do um, for each patient who came through. When I started looking at it on a systems level and realizing there was a whole industry um, that was making these very addictive products that was affecting the, my patient's health, was causing cancer and other diseases, um, that got me interested to find out what was the tobacco industry doing um, in terms of working you know, um, about their products. And the more I learned and when I started my research back as a medical student, um, I had the privilege of looking at some of their uh, tobacco industry documents that were released from lawsuits. And uh, I un helped uncover um, some information um, that they had corporate strategies trying to prevent smoke-free policies because that mm. uh, interfered with their business um, so from when I talk with patients, sometimes they worry that I'm thinking of them, that it's that sort of shame and blame that carries, you know, says, you know, that a lot of smokers carry with them. But actually, I kind of view it as they're almost like victims um, from uh, an industry where this is a very addictive product that's causing them health harms. And how can I help um, as a as a physician, um, you know, as to help them release them from that? So that's some of the research that really opened my eyes um, in terms of how it affects public policy and public health. Um, and so when I bring it back to my patients, I think it brings a different level of empathy, realizing that it's not it's not their fault per se. It's the nicotine addiction and that these products have been um, engineered to keep them in business, to keep the tobacco industry in business. And that's why we see right. a lot of these products um, evolving and adapting to some of the public health changes that have happened along the way. Such as the e-cigarettes. And I've seen you, you know, speak so passionately, you know, in front of um, local as well as state uh, policymakers who are um, considering legislation, for instance, or local ordinances to limit flavors, because we know that really hooks the kids. Um, what advice do you have out there for parents who are who are really um, very fearful of um, what's happening with young people and how the industry is reaching out in social media channels, for instance, um, to hook kids to tobacco through vaping. Yes, well, I think uh, it's really important to recognize that uh, electronic cigarettes are still an, a really relatively new product. Um, and, and the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, which is supposed to have regulatory authority over tobacco products, it's still a long process in terms of regulating these products. In fact, right now, what's going on is um, there all these e-cigarettes uh, that have been out in the market all this time, um, they're just starting to get uh, submit approvals to have the FDA review their products and approve the marketing of them. But all, all these years, they've been selling them. So it's 
it's uh, for for those parents out there, I want them to kind of recognize that these aren't safer products. In fact, it's sort of a buyer's beware product that's out there. You don't actually know what's inside these products. Mm. Um, and when they and when scientists have looked at it, sometimes they've seen um, ones that have been labeled nicotine free actually do have nicotine or that they have levels of carcinogens or heavy metals that are not disclosed on these um, products. So we're quite a few years off, at least, from actually knowing what's what people are inhaling. And then you have on top of this all these flavors um, or, um, you know, marketing that's also enticing to young people to make this, um, you know, fun and fruity. Uh, you know, you have flavors like unicorn poop. So I think you may have heard um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of policymakers being very concerned about it. And in California, anyway, um, you know, a lot of local laws have passed. And in fact, we we have had a state law passed to remove uh, flavors from tobacco products, including electronic cigarette uh, nicotine liquids, um, menthol, um, which is also very popular with young people. Um, especially like in this year, 2022. Um, every month that I do the Stop Tobacco program, it seems like we are addressing more people that are vaping. And so, you know, over the years, I've been doing this for many, many years. And just in the last few years, we're just seeing more and more people that may have turned to vaping to be able to quit smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And yet then they have a hard time quitting vaping as well. And so we are a resource to be able to help people quit vaping um, in partnership with Kick It California. And if I may also, the nicotine, um, with nicotine salts, uh, it's a new technology in terms of how addictive the nicotine is in some of these e-liquids and, and also some of the smokeless tobacco um, products. Um, and nicotine salts, um, what's happened, and Juul is, for, is one example, is where they changed it so that it's the nicotine is much more easily uh, bioavailable in your body. Mm. It's much more easily absorbed and you don't feel sick the same way like you did maybe with your first cigarette where you're coughing or feeling like throwing up. Um, you just feel the rush of the nicotine. And so chemically, um, it's more advanced. And I think a lot of people may not realize how much they're actually ingesting. Um, and I've seen people with heart arrhythmias or really fast heart rates that are dangerous um, and they don't realize it because they've absorbed so much nicotine. I mean, um, you know, maybe um, they'll feel it with palpitations, but they don't realize how much they've ingested. Right. And I, you know, I've talked to um, to folks who, who vape and they're almost, you know, vaping more than they smoked because um, it it's not, you know, picked up by others. You know, they can get away with, with vaping because it doesn't smell like you know, smoking a cigarette smells, but they find themselves doing it more and more and more. Um, and I wonder if they're becoming hyper addicted. I think what you're getting at is the social acceptability of not smelling stinky, which is a big problem right. for a lot of secondhand smoke. You know, why a lot of people, even smokers wanted smoke-free restaurants. They, they realized that it wasn't appealing um, to be eating and 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 really smelling bad at the same time. So um, that does get to that point as well. 
Well, that goes into um, just a little bit, and you you touched on it briefly on just the flavored tobacco. And like in Sacramento, where our cancer center is located, we have some flavored tobacco bans, and we know that it is uh, spreading out throughout the state. Um, you know, their big local governments are beginning to take a look at this. Do you see, though, as you talk with other researchers, do you see this becoming like something that's being adopted nationally, or is it still a very regional? Uh, we're seeing um, hundreds of local policies being passed nationwide and a lot more states mm. uh, garnering interest in these sorts of policies as well, uh, you know, to remove flavors from tobacco products, including menthol. Um, and it's I think this is uh, something that we'll see a lot more of um, uh, as time goes by, uh, because people are realizing that these products are are very appealing to young people. And also, you know, there's also the African-American community um, that has been targeted for years um, with menthol products. And, you know, it, this is maybe one reason why the African-American community also suffers a larger burden of tobacco-related diseases, um, lung cancer. This is another um, initiative that our cancer center is interested in reaching out to the African-American community um, to help with some of these disparities. And let's talk about that um, more. Uh, when it comes to cancer health disparities, what, how large is the role that tobacco plays in all this? Uh, yes, in the African-American communities, but also with uh, low-income individuals. Yes, yeah, so uh, we know now that a lot of uh, people have quit smoking, um, and those were typically the higher-educated um, uh, folks, um, higher socioeconomic status. Hmm. Um, right now, what we see in California, um, about 40% of, uh, of our state smokers are low income, are covered by uh, our state Medicaid program, which is called Medi-Cal. Um, we know there are communities um, that also have higher smoking prevalence rates um, among, amongst different racial ethnic groups. Um, American Indians have the highest smoking hmm. prevalence rates um, even though their um, their size in total is small, um, but this is uh, very prevalent amongst their community. Uh, we also have to make a distinction between commercial and cultural tobacco um, with the American Indian community as well. Um, you know, they they do tobacco is used for um, for ceremonial tobacco and and religious purposes as well. But it's different from you know commercial tobacco where it's uh, you know where people purchase you know, cigarettes and are and addicted to nicotine as opposed to using it for ceremonial purposes. Um, you know, uh, we know that people who immigrate from different countries, um, Asians, for example, that come from uh, countries where it's very acceptable for uh, men to smoke, um, you know, men in some Asian countries smoke at 50%. Um, mm. And they come here where, um, you know, and into different communities um, of color and, uh, you know, they continue their traditions. We know that there are certain communities that we need to address these cultural norm changes. Um, I mentioned the African-American community being targeted by menthol um, uh, cigarette companies for many mm. years, um, uh, where, you know, this is something that the African-American community, uh, tobacco control community is speaking out against and why the Food and Drug Administration is now taking steps towards removing menthol from cigarettes. Um, it's the last flavor that's being um, eliminated from cigarettes, finally, um, you know, more than a decade later. 
Uh, we know Latinos, for example, um, even though they have one of the lightest uh, smoking um, behavioral patterns, um, and no one quite understands why um, they are the lightest smokers, but yet at the same time, they are such a large population that um, amongst the Medicaid population, um, they total about a million smokers um, in California. Uh, and we recently published a paper looking at um, a nationwide phenomenon where health professionals are not advising Latino smokers to quit. And part of this may be mm, because interesting. part of this may be because they do have lighter smoking patterns. They may not be smoking every day, but that's still a cardiovascular risk. You, you may have lowered your risk for cancer because you have less of a dose response rela- uh, a dose relationship to cancer. But um, it's still very important to be smoke and tobacco free. So this is these are some strategies that we need to learn about and work with the community to educate. Um, uh, and also work with our patients on, um, you know, they may not necessarily need, um, you know, uh, medication if they're not smoking every day, but there are, this is why we need the coaching and the classes from, um, you know, our, our partners like Carrie to help people learn how to get to the finish line and be completely smoke and tobacco free. And Carrie, your, your cessation uh, classes, do they cover smokeless tobacco as well? Because I know that has really increased among especially young athletes, right, in high school? Yeah. All of our classes address uh, smoking, vaping, and chewing. Mm -hmm. So we cover it all. And hookah, you know, these hookah lounges, they may not be, you know, hugely popular here in Southern California. They are, and a lot of folks don't realize that hookah also contains nicotine. Yeah. One of our classes in the Stop Tobacco program actually does address all vaping devices. And we talk about the hookah in there. Excellent. Um, surprising, maybe not so surprising, but downtown Sacramento has plenty of hookah bars and then any, the college campus right. as mm. well. Um, yeah, very, very popular. Well, do you see um, some thoughts that have just popped in my mind as we're talking? Um, I remember there used to be a big push, at least publicly, it seemed, for education and prevention of smoking. Especially, I mean, you know, it would target the younger kids um, or through through high school and just basically, I guess, anybody under the legal age of smoking. Are we still seeing the same vehemence and the same backing for prevention as we did before, or is it waning? Or for uh, for tobacco control prevention in the schools, uh, there the depart the California Department of Education they do fund uh, what's called TUPI programs, tobacco use prevention and education programs. So school districts uh, apply for these monies, and uh, you know they work with the local schools, usually uh, middle mm-hmm. and high schools, to do tobacco uh, prevention. Uh, but uh, you know the vaping. And e-cigarettes, these products are evolving so quickly. Um, you know, it's been only recently that these programs mm-hmm. have been able to have an approved curriculum uh, to even educate the kids about vaping. So it's hard to keep up with an industry that's about making, you know, that's about making new business dollars um, when, you know, you have to go through all the things that our schools are dealing with and go through the process of getting um, an approved health curriculum and then educate the teachers who have to help deliver this curriculum too. So um, we will always be behind in that sense (laughs) of what, uh, what the teenagers are are doing out there or or what they have access to. But um, this is why it's important to 
work with community partners um, and to, you know, also not just the patients at hand, but to be, you know, mindful of the broader community and, and public policy and public health issues. And uh, Dr. Chong, have we seen any uh, research develop along the lines of the impact that marijuana smoking might have on, let's say, lung cancer rates down the road? Now, this is a this is actually developing science um, that I'm not an expert in, but I do know that our state tobacco related disease research program is very much interested in the science of this. Uh, we do know that our young people who are vaping, um, they are actually uh, using marijuana at even higher rates. Mm. Um, and, and this is something we need to learn more about and learn how to address. There's not the same sort of, um, the same sort of uh, public dollars that goes to tobacco control that goes to the same um, uh, sort of cannabis control and education. Um, in our state, it's mostly for um, for regulating the market or, you know, having retail uh, license approvals. So this is where I think our research is sorely needed, but it's not something that we routinely collect even in the clinical fields or even amongst our cancer patients. So we still have a large, a long way to go to catch up to even produce science <laughs> that will help educate us for the next steps and what to what to inform our patients. Um, but I can tell you that our California, um, our, our California Environmental Protection Agency uh, report, um, they have classified uh, cannabis uh, as um, a carcinogen mm. and a developmental toxin. So that's some, they have been reviewing the evidence and I think that will continue. And as there's more literature that will add to the growing evidence base. Yeah, well, uh, I think there's a lot of folks that uh, would like to see more done in that area. Even even some pot smokers, you know, who would like to know, you know, what they're putting their, their, you know, their health if they're putting their health at risk. And if if I may, uh, this is also an area where some of the regulatory environment and what's actually going on in the real world. It's hard for us to catch up in, in terms of the public and also as providers and patients. Um, you know. You, you, you know, you may think that you're buying from a pop-up shop <laughs> that's maybe, um, you know, providing some legitimate products or that have been approved by the state, but actually um, there has been evidence or studies that show some of those stores, um, you know, they're not approved retail mm. sellers and they haven't gone through the appropriate processes for checking their products. So some of the, some of the products that are grown, you know, illegally, you know, they may have high levels of pesticides, um, you know, they're not being tested, you know, to see what else is in those products. Um, so this is, again, another buyer beware sort of situation mm -hmm. where, you know, patients and providers, we all need to be um, to recognize this. I have a question just for our cancer patients who are visiting the Comprehensive Cancer Center. Um, if they are smokers uh, or they're tobacco users, what are some of the steps that they need to take or how do they how do they access the the quit tobacco programs that we offer at uc davis health so there's a lot of different ways that they can access it and we have spent a lot of time setting up workflows for to make it really super easy for our patients once they come in for appointments mm -hmm. and when they're meeting their their um, oncologists and the care team even from the medical assistants should be asking those patients and they can 
once they're identified by the medical assistant as a tobacco users, those medical assistants can then refer that patient to us. Um, but patients can also just access our website, livinghealthy.ucdavis.edu, and they can enroll in a program um, through the website or even through their My UC Davis Health. Um, there's a way to get to our wellness classes and um, all of our quit tobacco classes are uh, available through um, the My UC Davis Health app as well. And Carrie, what, you know, if, if you have a loved one or you have a, a close friend and um, you, what are the, what are the magic words or what is the best approach to use um, when you're trying to, trying to encourage someone to quit? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I get that sometimes from the docs because a lot of times what I hear, what a patient will say that the doctor said is, you know, you have to quit. But saying you have to quit doesn't give them anything. But if you say you have to quit and I can help is only everything. And if I get to talk to a patient, I have to meet that patient where they're at. And it's really about customizing an individual plan for that patient. And it may be um, just as simple as cutting, you know, reducing to quit. You know, let's look at this over the month or over the next couple months. Um, but what we know is when nothing changes, nothing changes. And so even taking a baby step and so chunking it down like that seems to be a really good approach for a lot of people that are resistant. And I spend a lot of time talking to resistant patients. <laughs> and so I um, using motivational interviewing and um, approaching that patient with empathy and being able to also educate them. Um, with kind of the dangers and where they're at with their tobacco use and how it's affecting and impacting their health. Um, it's a great mix of a treatment plan to get them moving closer to making some sort of change. Sounds like a good approach. Did you see um, any increase in, in people wanting to quit during the pandemic just because of some of the evidence showing a higher likelihood of COVID complications with smokers? Well, I can't say that we saw more people wanting to quit, though there was a campaign to let people know that if you were a tobacco user, if you were smoking cigarettes, that you were seven times more likely to get COVID. But what happened in our department as a patient education department, and we were doing all of our classes in person, and then the pandemic hit, and in a month's time, we converted all of our classes online. Wow. Which um, I can't say that we actually got more people to quit, but our reach for patients all of a sudden became Northern California. And um, we will ne we're going back to some in-person classes, but we will never lose that virtual um, reach because it's been astonishing. You know, we can reach those people in Red Bluff, in the Bay Area. It's just really right. amazing. So it's a form of tele telemedicine, and um, UC is always offering virtual classes so folks don't have to travel to get to the cancer center. Yeah. So just to add to what Carrie was saying, uh, the program, the Health Management Education Partnership has been tremendous. So even before COVID, we were already recognizing that it's really challenging for patients with cancer to have another appointment, to try to set aside time to think about quitting smoking. It's already 
hard enough as it is. Um, and, you know, to expect the doctors to be able to also comprehensively treat everything. So um, one thing that our Stop Tobacco program did um, right before the pandemic was to have health management education at Carrie and her team um, to start reaching out to patients proactively um, and calling them and seeing, look, we see that you didn't get a chance to have any medications or referrals from your doctor. How can we help? Um, and we did have uh, a number of people uh, take up services from that standpoint. Um, we know, again, it's like what Carrie's saying, you know, it's trying to meet people where they're at. But here, we recognize that we need to um, reach people also um, and not wait for them to come to clinic for everything to be perfectly perfect and then think about quitting. We know that we need to um, help them um, even outside of the clinic um, outside of all the appointments that they might have during their cancer care. And it's just been a phenomenal partnership um, for our program to continue that even during COVID, uh, when people are not going to the clinic per se, you know, back to their primary care docs, even during cancer treatments, um, and, and also partnering with our state quitline um, kick at California to try to, um, to try to help people at home. Well, I hope the two of you uh, know the difference you're making in the lives that you touch, and you're you're saving lives by doing this type of outreach and education. So uh, we sure appreciate you and, and your time on uh, Beat Cancer today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you again for joining us. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us directly at beatcancer at ucdavis.edu. Beat Cancer is a production of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. And for more information on our NCI-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center, please visit health.ucdavis.edu cancer.